Living Time and the Integration of the Life by Dr. Morris Nichol. People in America pronounce this Maurice Nicole. I did for years until I met a guy from Scotland. Now, Morris Nichol is from Scotland. I met a guy from Scotland and he said, it's not Maurice Nicole. He's from Scotland. We say Morris Nichol. I said, okay, fine. Call him Morris Nichol ever since. So I'm easy. You know, I'm trainable teachable, and we all need to be if we're going to develop. If you're going to dig your heels in and stand your ground and be recalcitrant, you are going nowhere in this work. You are going nowhere as far as development goes. Nowhere the easy way. Not that there is an easy way. It's hard. You can really make it hard on yourself kicking against the goads. So don't do that. We left off with, no, we're picking up with, there have been many systems of thought, religious and otherwise, with corresponding methods, whose object was exactly to bring about unity of being. As you remember, we left off with the fact that we are completely fractured, that we have this personality that's completely fractured. It's like this. I just want you to imagine for a moment, take a mirror, six foot tall and three feet wide, and dropping it. That is our personality. It shatters. Our personality is that fractured, that fragmented. And so each one of the little pieces of that mirror is reflecting some eye, some little part of you. Imagine what it's like to try and figure out who you are by looking at all those little pieces scattered all over the place. Do you get my point? But if you can put that mirror back together, then you can see who you are. But of course, the only way to put that, who you really are, of course, the only way to put that mirror back together is it needs to be reforged. It needs to be remade. And the only way to do that is because it's glass, it has to be heated and turned into this molten sheet again. So like that. That's what has to happen to us. It's the heat, the friction from this work needs to create this heat in us that starts to take all of these different fractured, fragmented parts and weld them together in a way. The systems differ, but the object is the same. All these systems are means to an end. They're not ends in themselves. The problem with us is that we take systems as an end in themselves. And that's a mistake, because then we get stuck and we end up developing in an inharmonious way. We can't really come together harmoniously because we get stuck in a rut. Like, this system is an end in itself. No, they're not. They belong to different periods and different conditions of culture. To compare them with one another in order to prove by their discrepancies that they cannot have any truth is beside the point. There are people who do that. They just compare all these things. They find the discrepancies and they say, well, that can't be true. Well, that's great. If all you want to do is prove that things can't be true, you're in the wrong place. If what you want to do is develop and you're willing to yield your opinions, yield your self-love, yield your points of view, then you have the opportunity to develop. Otherwise, forget about it. In all these systems, there's always much that is very difficult to understand, much that the natural mind simply cannot understand. But that's okay. This is necessarily so for a system that doesn't stand beyond the natural reason that's based on the sensory world can't open levels of reality beyond that one on which we ordinarily dwell. So let's say you have a terrarium or an aquarium. You know what it is, an aquarium? It's a closed system. And in a closed system, if you have fish or something in that closed system, if you don't introduce something from outside, they will die. The aquarium cannot survive. First of all, if you, even if it's a still aquarium that has no air circulating in it, you're not, you don't have a bubbler in there or a filter in there, it has to get oxygen from outside the aquarium, from the surface of the water. So there's this exchange, just like your skin. 
But if you don't have that, everything inside dies. This is what we're looking at. Our system, we cannot open levels of reality beyond the one on which we ordinarily dwell without something from outside our system. That's all there is to it. If you're going to be recalcitrant, if you're going to be stubborn, and you're going to say, no, if I can't see it, if I can't touch it, if I can't feel it, if I can't smell it, if I can't taste it, it doesn't exist. Fine. Then stay in your cave and be happy there, as happy as you can be. But if you're willing to get out of that, if you're willing to stretch, if you're willing to expand your consciousness, if you're willing to go places with ideas that are uncomfortable for your ordinary state of consciousness, then you can develop. Otherwise, it's not going to happen. A scientific religion based on the logic of natural science and our known reality is a contradiction in terms. For if we take religion as meaning binding together again, which is what it means, it means that its true significance, long ago lost sight of, is the attainment of unity, and unity connotes higher reality. So this is the problem with religion today. Why religion today is falling on hard times is because it deserves to fall on hard times, because they have lost sight of the original intent of the teacher. So Christianity has lost sight of the original intent of the teacher. In fact, they've lost sight of the teacher. They've lost sight of what the teacher taught. They've lost sight of the purpose of Christianity. And because of that, it's like this huge social club of us against them, us versus them. We're better than you are, like that. Almost a complete waste of time, except that some people can, if they're really sincere, even in a broken system like Christianity, some people can, even in that broken system, develop if they're sincere, if they're honest, if that's what they really want. The usual state of man is put in a somewhat different way in the following passage from the Hermetic literature. The real is that which consists of itself alone and continues to be such as it is in itself. But man is composed of many different things and does not continue to be such as he is himself, but shifts and changes from one form to another. The real, the true, the absolute, is always the same. It never changes. The truth is the truth is the truth is the truth, and it is always the same. The only thing changes about the truth is your perception of it, your understanding of it. Really, the truth isn't changing. You are changing. Oftentimes, men fail to recognize their children after a short interval, and children cease to recognize their parents after a short interval. When a thing so changes that it is not known, how can it be real? You see, all of us who have ever been married or in a relationship, you start off in the relationship and you start off with this one person. And then after some time you find out that person isn't that person anymore. You're with some other person. What happened? It's because you didn't see the real person and you were not a real person when you entered that relationship. So two unreal people enter a relationship and of course it's going to change. That's why the divorce rate nationwide is over 50%. Because people who get married, people who hook up, are not real. They are not real themselves, and they're not hooking up with a real person. And so, when they change, then they like, you're not the man I married. Well, you're not the woman I married. Well, duh, that's true. That's all true. It's not. Like he says, when a thing so changes that is not known, how can it be real? Is it not an illusion inasmuch as its changes manifest themselves in varying appearances? You must understand that whatever is, and that alone, is real. See, this to so many people sounds like double talk. Whatever is, and that alone, is real. But you are not. Because you are not a unity, you are not an is. You are a changing thing. You're this fluctuating thing. But man is not a thing that ever is, and therefore man is not real, but is only an appearance. Are we together on this? Okay, so I don't need to explain this. 
We ought to call man appearances. We ought to call a child the appearance of a child, a youth the appearance of a youth, an adult man the appearance of an adult man, etc. That's in Hermetica, Volume 1, page 387. This is an ancient teaching, but it's so true, and we have lost all of this. We are today, modern man has lost all of this. We're pitiful. We believe that there is something more, but what more is there in a practical sense? If we're capable of honesty with ourselves, and very few people are, we are very little more than creatures of the moment. You have to be able to admit that to yourself. Right now is the only thing that really matters to us, right now. And especially if right now is pressing on us. If there's something big going on right now and it's pulling our strings, we're slaves to it. If right now is kind of like peaceful and copacetic, then what do we do? We wander in the past and the future mentally. In other words, we wander in our memory or in our imagination because we don't believe that there is a past and a future. We only believe that there is now, and then there's a memory, and there's imagination. So he says, if we're capable of honesty with ourselves, we are very little more than creatures of the moment, but we think we're not. We think we're entirely different than we actually are. We imagine that we're merely resting, merely abiding our time. We believe that what is I in us never changes, and that we could always be different if we wished. What can I say? If you know this about yourself, great. If you don't know this about yourself, go back to square one and observe yourself until you do know this about yourself. Because if you're just going to intellectually get this and go, oh yeah, oh yeah, sure, 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 then you're just wasting your time. You're not wasting my time because I'm here with people who actually want to develop and who are going to make an effort. But if you're going to just make all your effort intellectually, or you're going to imagine your effort, and you're going to imagine that you get this stuff because you heard it, then you're wasting your time. And if you want to waste your time, go ahead. It's okay with me. And just as we imagine that we act consciously and could behave differently if we really wanted to, so we believe that we have one eye, a unity, a permanent reality that presides over all that we do. Here's the thing. Have you ever heard of anybody who had their home foreclosed on them or had their car repossessed? Never heard of anybody who had their... Never. You're serious? You've never heard of even anybody that ever had a home foreclosed? Okay, well, let me explain this to you. There are some people who buy a home, then they can't make the payments. So what happens is the bank has to take it back. It's called foreclosure. So they take it back from them. So now you've heard of it. There are people in the world who go out and they buy a car, and then they can't make the payments or they don't make the payments, they buy over their head. And then they find out that they can't pay their phone bill, they can't pay their electric bill, they can't pay their water bill, they can't buy food and they can't buy video games or whatever else they do with their money and make the car payments. So what happens is whoever loaned them the money to buy the car, what they do is they repossess it. They send somebody around. They have television shows about this. How could you not know this? They send somebody around and they take the car back. So they lose it. I'm bringing all this up for one reason. What are you smiling at? Okay. Well, it, these are not examples. This is true life. This is really happens in life. Okay, so what? I'm working in a room full of good householders who've never had any of this. I've never had a house foreclosed. I've never had that happen. I've never had a car repossessed. I've never defaulted on a loan. In fact, I don't do loans. I don't borrow, period. If I don't have the money for it, I don't get it. So, yes, I understand that there are people who don't do that, but there are people who do this regularly. There are people who, what is called is giving your word and not keeping it. All right, here's a better example. Everybody here has a driver's license. You have a driver's license. Okay. You know that when you sign that driver's license, you are promising 
You are giving your word that you will obey all of the laws, the rules of the road that that state has. Yeah, and that's right. And it's a phone book full of rules and regulations that you don't know anything about. But that's a whole other thing. You have a little driver's manual that's like 18 pages or 20 pages. But their rules that they give the police officers is like a phone book. And the reason is, can you guess what the reason is? Yes, to get you, so that they keep power and control over you. If you don't know all of the rules that they have, they've got you. And you have to be afraid, and you have to obey, and you have to cower. And that's really what power and control is all about. If you want control and power over other people, then you have to know stuff they don't know. You have to have rules that can make them pay. That's really the bottom line. Make them do what you want. Anyway, that's a little off track, but it's not really. The bottom line is you signed and gave your word. Now, how many of you have broken your word on the road? Okay, just raise your hand. And if you're not raising your hand, then you're a liar. Or you didn't drive today. So I drove here. The only driving I did today was I drove here. There were trucks parked behind Connie's car as we're backing out. And she's like trying to back out. And I said, do you want me to do this? She got out. And I got in the driver's seat and I backed the car out through all the obstacle course that was our driveway. And she gets in the other side. She says, do you have your driver's license? Well, of course I don't have my driver's license. I wasn't planning on driving and I don't carry it with me everywhere I go. So I said, yeah, yeah, I have my driver's license. So I just broke a rule of the road. So yeah, I gave my word that I would keep all the rules and I broke it. Now, did the person who signed the driver's license have any idea that the person who drove here tonight was going to do that? No. Why is that? Because we're fragmented, contradictory, and we do not know ourselves. There is not one I in here, and there is not one will. So how many people want to break the rules? There are eyes in you that do want to break the rules. That's what they want to do. But there are eyes in you that don't want to break the rules, that want to play fair. But there are eyes in you that says, well, nobody else is playing fair. Why should I? Well, that's not fair. They're not playing fair. See, all that stuff and all these conflicting thoughts and all these conflicting eyes inside of us make for a huge problem for us. So when he says, we imagine that we act consciously and can behave differently if we wished, so we believe that we have one eye, a unity, a permanent reality that presides over all that we do. But the guy who signed, the eye that signed the paper saying, yes, I'll pay for this car on monthly payments for five years or three years or whatever. I'll make a payment every month for this amount. And then doesn't do it? Well, the I that signed it thought he was going to do it. Actually, he didn't really think at all. All he thought is, I want this car. It's shiny. It's new. It smells good. It goes fast. I want this car. And the other eyes that said, you can't afford this. Shut up. Yeah, exactly. I can make it work. So that's my point. My point is, we imagine that we're one, that there's this one will that presides over all of these different desires, all these different feelings, all these different thoughts. But it's imagination. It is not true. If we read that we are an assembly or a monstrous animal more extraordinary than the hydra and still more many-headed, we don't really believe it. To know that this is so is to begin to have knowledge, and that doesn't belong to the natural sense-governed mind. This is something that you have to learn. You have to learn it the hard way. You have to have ideas that come from outside of our little aquarium, our little terrarium system. You have to have ideas that come from, Gurdjieff called it the conscious circle of humanity. It's just people who are more conscious than us, a lot more conscious than us. And you know, you don't have to be very conscious to be more conscious than us. But if you don't know that about yourself, it's because you have not properly observed yourself and found that out. 
Even to begin to know this is already to begin to have a changed feeling of oneself, a moment of a rest in the current of our illusions, a doubt. Who am I? Look, everybody in this room has that doubt. There is no question in my mind. I've watched you go through the agony of losing your identity, the agony of realizing what a mess you are. We all did it pretty much together. And so we supported one another in it. We made it through together. At least we made it through to the point where we could go, okay, we're all in this boat together, and at least I'm not alone in being completely out of control, in being a marionette. It is in this direction that the possibilities of changing lie. Ospensky emphasizes this psychological principle for behind all becoming lies that which we cannot reach, cannot concentrate upon, just because we cannot turn the feeling of I toward it but are dragged back into the eye of the moment, into the stream of passing time. You know from doing the 10-day Vipassana meditation course that you cannot keep your mind still, that it is a monster. It drags you away constantly, that it takes Herculean effort and hours and hours and days and weeks and months and years of practice to get to where you can even concentrate on your breath, and stay there for an hour. It's not impossible. It can be done. But you know how hard it is. And if you don't keep practicing it, you know how quickly you are dragged back into this. This. The stream of passing time. And the stream of passing time, really for us, is a matter of the stream of events. It was mentioned previously that sometimes we feel the unreality of all that we do or see or say or think. And then, it is really the illusory feeling of I deserts us. So at that time, when we start to see, it's like they're just these weird moments. When all of a sudden, you see that you're not real. You see that you're not one, you're not real. And then that illusory feeling of I deserts you, you don't know who you are. It's like, whoa, <laughs> I don't know who I am. I don't know what I can be counted on to do. But since any other feeling of I is strange, we only feel fear, as if we were being dissolved away. And really, you are, for the moment, being dissolved away. We begin to move, say something, clear our throats in order to get back to the familiar feeling of oneself. It's like pinching yourself. You know, it's like somehow affirming your existence. And what that means is affirming your familiar sense of I, because you've lost it. So we can understand how distasteful at first we find ideas that threaten to dissolve this reality. Indeed, all the natural mind fights against them. So this is why this system will never be popular, because people in the natural mind are going to fight against it. Remember, I guess we haven't done Plato's allegory about the cave, have we? Not in depth. Anyway, we'll get to that. So we can understand how distasteful this is. Yet, if we desire change, it's necessary to escape from the power of these eyes of the passing moment that mutually exclude one another and act as transient caliphs. There must be another stimulus. All that belongs to passing time will not help. So that means everything that we know in this world will not help. It's called A and B influences. Everything that we know in this world will not help. A and B influences will not help. We need C influences. Influences that come from outside the terrarium, to go back to that example. But an idea about time can help. An idea about a thing puts us into a definite position in regard to it. So you can see that what we've been working on, hammering on with this idea of time, there is no yesterday. Yesterday is not was. Yesterday is. Tomorrow is. Now is. Yesterday is. Now is. Tomorrow is. All of those things exist. Your whole life, from before you were born 
To beyond the grave, all exist. They are all right now existent. And that's what your exercise was. That's what you've been trying to do. Think about every day as often as you can think about that. Getting rid of was, getting rid of will be, and just having is. Present tense for time. When you do that, an idea about a thing puts us into a definite position in regard to it. It is in this that the power of an idea first lies. If we could feel the idea of time itself, of all our life lying in time, the momentary eye of passing time would not have the same hold over us. So I don't know whether you've been getting freed up by doing the exercise, but if you do the exercise, you'll find that fear starts to dissolve. Well, what's going to become of me? Nothing. You don't have to worry about that. You are not your body. Your body is not you. It's just this vehicle that you're riding in right now. And you can get out of it. You can go get in another vehicle, go rent another one, or whatever. These are all just examples. I'm not saying any of this is happening. So don't go crazy. Or go crazy if you want. The idea gives us a certain power, even a certain freedom. And you have to admit, it gives you the power and the freedom of fear. It gives you a power over fear, freedom from fear. Once you realize that dying isn't anything, like changing vehicles, it's not as easy to be afraid of dying. This is where its value lies. Instead of saying, this is I, we shall begin to realize, this is not I. This is not I. What reason had the Hermetic writer to tell us to expand ourselves to the magnitude of all existence? And you have to admit to yourself, the magnitude of all existence is tough. It's an infinite idea that we're trying to grasp with our finite minds. And the finite mind is a sense-based mind. This power of vast combination was recommended in an exercise that leads towards the transmutation of man into eternal substance. When Eckhart tells us to escape from time, is he not saying the same thing? Yes, he's saying the same thing. But no natural ideas formed from what we actually see are going to help us to do this. Nothing, no natural idea from this sense-based world is going to help us do this. It's going to take something else. Our senses imprison us in the present moment and make passing time. Our senses are what make passing time. Passing time does not exist. It's an illusion that comes from the limitation of our senses. The visible world, the senses, the eye of the moment. All these unite to produce one effect, a pinpoint of reality that we take as all. It's like the paper beings. All they can see is the cross-section of the pencil. They take that as all the pencil. But see, we're here in the third dimension. We can see the whole pencil. We go, well, that's ridiculous. Well, imagine what the people in the fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh dimensions think of us. Except that they're much more generous than we are. They realize our pitiful condition. The more generous of them do. There are people in the fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh dimensions that are wicked, evil, vile. I hate to tell you that. But just because you're in the fourth, fifth, or sixth, or seventh dimension does not make you a good being. Yeah, that's kind of freaky, isn't it? So it's just like people who know more in this dimension are not necessarily good. There are a lot of people who know more who are really evil, wicked people. And they use what they know against others. So that's the reality of this world. We're told to expand this pinpoint into the magnitude of all existence. This pinpoint meaning this little pinpoint in time that we think is all reality. We're now asked to expand this little reality into the magnitude of all existence. By being all, the man himself is none of them. To know and to recognize all that is in one's life. To begin to know and remember all sides of oneself. To feel all the life, 
that is to begin to change and cease to be always only one of these little eyes of the moment. Right now, this is all theory for us. Right now, this is not something that we can easily conceive. It's not even something we can easily imagine. Unless, of course, well, no. There are people who imagine this already. They are as lost as a goose in a snowstorm. A white goose in a snowstorm, incidentally. But you have had this shown to you so many times, and you've shown it to yourself so many times, that it's hardly possible for you to see that anymore. So now you have this other side, the exasperation of realizing that you can't do this, the exasperation of realizing this is hopeless, that with man this is impossible. And if we think of eternal as meaning wholeness or unity, then we can understand that as long as we are only these little eyes, and as long as our consciousness enters entirely into them, there can be no possibility of any real being. There can be no wholeness. We've got to forsake all of this. So against becoming and changing and passing time, we must first put the idea of the life extended in time. This is the first idea that challenges our present momented psychology. We have already noticed the connection between this idea and the unification of the life. The unification of the life depends on another understanding of time. And we are now working on trying to get another understanding of time. Not just another theory of time, an understanding of time, which is an entirely different thing than the theory. Put in another way, our ordinary feeling of I does not enable us to reach unity. You can't reach unity with your ordinary feeling of I. You are constantly going to feel separate. You're going to feel separate from other people. You are not going to feel that you are one with them in humanity. You are constantly going to see yourself as an individual and as separate and conflicting. But we've already connected a different understanding of time with a different level of consciousness. Unification of the life, the attainment of a new level of consciousness, a different understanding of time, and a new feeling of I are thus all related. All these things are connected, but they're connected beyond the senses. So they're connected beyond our pinpoint reality, this little, tiny, itty-bitty section of reality that we're seeing and we're calling everything. It's like when you start to see how ridiculous it is, it's pitiful. We're pitiful. We are pitiful, weak, little, barely glowing candles in darkness, pretty much. And the only thing we can see is the light that this little candle gives off, the candle of our understanding. And it's tiny, really tiny compared to all of reality that we don't see. We shall see later that they are all included in the ancient idea of eternal life. What am I? Am I my life? All my life is my time. The present moment of my life is in all the allness of my life, a point in the magnitude of my existence. And this allness is my only time, this present moment. That's how it is for us. Life in itself is time for man. You must see that. Everything for us is about time. Everything. For man, there is and cannot be any other time outside the time of his life. Man is his life. His life is his time. And that is life for him. There is no tomorrow for a man beyond the time of his life. Man dies because his time ends. There can be no tomorrow after death, but only one's life. That comes from Ospensky in A New Model of the Universe. Remember that the life itself is indestructible. Passing time brings us to the end of the life beyond which there is nothing for us. It's an end. Just as in the world of three-dimensional objects, the end of a table is its termination in known space. We can see that. The end of this table is here. It's termination in known space. The hand passing over the table no longer touches it, so that for the hand, the table ceases to exist. So for this hand 
here on the end of my arm, this table, doesn't exist. Close your eyes. It doesn't exist. That's how it is for us. The hand passing over the table no longer touches it, but not for the eye. So the eye can see that the table still exists, even though the hand doesn't know that. And our reason steps in and says, no, the table exists. The hand says, no, it doesn't. The eye says, yes, I can see it. And the hand agrees, okay. Because our reason overrides our little reality. In the same way, the life seems to be destroyed to end. It doesn't end. Well, it does end, but four-dimensionally, it's still there, and it's indestructible, just as the world is indestructible. But for us, that just is not our reality, because we see people ending all the time. And because we can't see them continuing, we think they ended, they no longer exist. Or we imagine that they exist, but we can't imagine what their existence is like, unless we have some stupid idea that they have a harp and wings, and they're floating around somewhere, or they're suffering in hell. It's just bizarre how primitive our ideas are. People imagine the world might be destroyed by the release of atomic forces. That's impossible. It may come to an end in passing time, but that only means that its time length or life does not extend beyond that point. The real destruction of the world would be its destruction in higher dimensions, from beginning to end, at all points of its time length, and the force necessary for such destruction isn't found in physical energies. No explosion or electronic bombardment could affect this. Its life could not be destroyed any more than a man's life, in time, can be destroyed by shooting him now. <laughs> See, we don't believe that. We think that if you shoot somebody and you kill them, their life is ended. We cannot shoot into time. We can only shoot this little tiny itty-bitty pinpoint of reality, this present moment. No bullet can shoot the life, and no act of self-destruction can destroy the life. See, this is why living time and the integration of the life. This is why I keep repeating this at the beginning of every podcast. The integration of the life. Because we do not see the life. We only see our life. And our life is only this moment. No one can change himself beyond his life. We're going to have to stop, you know. If I start this, we're not going to be able to finish it. Lori being excommunicated so she's not here left us a pencil so that I can mark where we left off and where the next one begins because I won't remember. And the reason I won't remember is because I have chosen to use my limited brain power for other things. If I can write something down, then I write it down and I can use my mind on something else. Because let's face it, for now we are limited. But we're working on removing those limitations little by little. And as they say, there's an idiom in the Spanish language, poco a poco se anda lejos. That means little by little one goes far. And this is true, especially in this work. Little by little one goes far. Don't expect too much of yourself. Don't beat yourself up. Don't torment yourself as you are wont to do. Don't do that. Just remember, poco a poco se anda lejos. Little by little one goes far. And relax and just understand that you are living the life, not this life. You are living the life. The life. There is one life, and you are living that life. And you can't see it. You can't feel it. You can only feel this little tiny sliver of it that you're now in. But on either side of that, it stretches out in both directions so far that you can't imagine it. Millions and millions of years. You can't imagine that. And you've had Christianity teaching you that's not true. But they're wrong. The people who are teaching that are wrong. 
because they don't know. And they don't know because they're going by doctrine and a system, and they do not exercise themselves, and they have lost touch with the original teacher, the originator of Christianity, the originator. They've lost touch with that. Because they've lost touch with that, they no longer have, they're no longer tapped into that wellspring. And anyone who drinks this water, a well of water will spring up in him, leading to eternal life. And you have to understand that eternal life, you are living eternal life now. You are living it. But we don't know that. But we can learn that. We can begin to expand our consciousness to include more and more of the life. That's what we're doing. That's what this is about. So be patient. Be happy that you know this, that you're in the process, that you have begun to kill yourself. That is that little petty self that has kept you imprisoned all this time. Truth is